0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Get Your AI On the Podcast. I'm Ciprian Borodescu, and this podcast is brought to you by Morphol, the AI platform for e commerce. I'm the host of the show, and every episode, I invite founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders, and even AI researchers to share with us their experience in dealing with business problems that can be solved through intelligent use of data. This is episode number two. Let's get your AI on. I'm here with Andrea Georgescu, operations researcher at MIT. I'm super excited and it's an honor to have you on this podcast. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to, uh, to be part of this podcast, especially in the early days. I'm, I'm very excited to, to have a chat with you.
0: We met a few months ago through a common acquaintance and I was super impressed with the work you're doing at MIT. Could you share a bit about yourself and the field of research you're in?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so I'm um I'm originally from Romania, but I'm I moved to the States uh uh for college. Um and I'm I'm a mathematician at, at Heart and, and by Training. Um so, I, I, uh, my college degree is in, is in theoretical math, but I was always, uh, very interested in, in actually doing applied math and particularly, um, u- using math to, to make better decisions, especially in this data driven world. So, um, in, in a nutshell, that's, uh, what operation, re- operations research is, uh, for me. It's a bit of an unknown field for some people. Um so the idea is pretty simple whenever you have a decision usually a, a management decision and there is data you can use um math to to create algorithms to to basically make better decisions so i'm right now i'm am I'm a phd student at uh, at MIT in, in the operations research uh, center um and and what i do in my research um i i basically focus on on um revenue management when, when customer choice is important so you can think uh, whenever a customer goes to a store, either online or um, brick and mortar, they they have to choose from a selection, and and there is a lot of um, research about how people actually choose from from different um, items available, and that actually impacts revenue a lot. Um, and and then um, the other type of research that I'm focused on is is actually uh, supply chain uh, optimization. Uh, so uh, basically, how retailers think about where to keep their inventory in a big supply chain, uh, and and how to move it to to satisfy demand.
0: That's a, that's a hot topic in today's okay. you know the coronavirus crisis and supply chain.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm I'm working with an industry partner uh, through through my program, and and basically right now everyone is just focused on on making sure that the essentials are are really um, available for consumers and and doing a lot of work to sort of. Uh, you know, prioritize those items that are indispensable and making sure that they are put in, in all the stores, um, and sort of that they are there on, on time. Uh, so it's definitely a very difficult problem. You know, uh, just, um, just thinking of the very classical brick and mortar, there's always a question of what the demand will be and, and where it will show up and, and how you manage your warehouses and even further your upstream supply chain and, and how much you order and when do you ship it? Where do you ship it? Um, I I think it's actually an an interesting distinction these days because um, I think the main focus right now is that you really don't want to run out of stock on these very essential items. Whereas in in more normal times, you have other problems uh, where you actually want to run a more lean kind of operations and and you want to put uh, the items in front of people that they need and um, you want to have everything available, but you don't want to keep too
0: much in your stores. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Give us some concrete examples of use cases that fall into this category of operations research.
1: So, in a in a very simplified version of the problem, this is called the news vendor problem. Uh, The idea is that um, you know a a news vendor needs to order a number of papers from um, from the uh, printing. Uh, and, and the question is, how much do you want to order? You know, uh, if you don't order enough, then you will not meet demand and, and obviously you will lose revenue. But if you order too much, you, you won't have, uh, anything to do with, uh, you, you will never sell, uh, the papers that you order. Um, it, it's called a news vendor problem because, uh, specifically for news, you know, you can't sell the papers in the later days because, um, if you think of a daily newspaper, no one will, will buy it, uh, in the following days. So this is a very classical use case of operations research. You know, how do you think of your demand, of your costs, um, and and your trade-offs? The the main trade-off in this problem being uh, the trade-off between uh, not meeting demand, so having lost sales, and 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 the cost of of ordering, uh, so paying for the newspapers that you buy but you never sell.
0: So I did my homework, well, sort of, but I did browse the news vendor problem. But essentially essentially what I want to understand, if the uncertain demand also refers to times such as the ones we're going through right now, or this vendor, news vendor model is appropriate for slight variations in demand, not outliers, let's say.
1: So so that's actually a very very good um, observation about all of these classical operations research models. You know, in in, in the old days when there wasn't uh, really a lot of data available, um, most of these models that people worked with started with, oh, the demand is this. uh, And it's usually just a random variable, a distribution that is given to you. Um, Now, now obviously, in real life, no one gives you (laughs) that that, uh, demand distribution uh, for free. Uh, so, so actually, a, a a big part of of how you would use these models in practice is uh, figuring out what the inputs are to these models, uh, and and estimating demand is definitely one of the first things that people need to deal with, or or estimating whatever other um, inputs uh, you're using in your models from real data. So, um, with regards to your question, right? I think I think such a model will will be useful in these days as well. Um, if you're using the right demand, uh, which you would have to sort of estimate on these times that you call outliers as opposed to just using the same demand you would, uh, use in normal times. Uh, I, I actually think the bigger difference in these times compared to usual times is, is the trade-offs. I think in, in these times, as I was alluding to before, uh, what changes is that really you don't want to run out of stock. Um, like in, 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 and this is actually common to retailers in general they the the cost of of not meeting demand is usually usually outweighs the cost of ordering too much a lot by a lot um but but in these times i imagine it's it's even more debalanced like you really don't want to lose demand on on some items or the essential items and and on the other items, you probably just don't even carry them anymore. So so this trade off between how much you want to satisfy demand and and the cost of of ordering too much, usually in this model in particular, is really summarized by the service level you want to guarantee. Uh, So if you want to meet 95% of the demand, then you you, you order a given amount. If you want to satisfy 99% of the demand, you order more. Uh, and, and And this service level is in practice really set by managers based on intuition about about the the business. but in you know, a more uh, rigorous formulation is really given by by the cost of not meeting uh, demand and, and ordering too much
0: let's uh, Let's shift gears a little bit and um, I want to understand what is kind of like the life cycle of such a project. Where do you start? <laughs> what are the usual steps and the timelines for these projects until they get to production?
1: Mm-hmm. This is actually one of the differences, if I can, can take a bit of a detour, uh, between operations research and something like machine learning. Uh, you know, in, in machine learning, really, the task is already given. Um, you, you have data and you want to predict something, and the idea is to find uh, the best mathematical model to do that one task. Um, the role... In operations research, or or for a data scientist, if you if you want, really the the problem is is usually a lot uh, bigger and a lot more com- complicated. Like there are a lot of pieces, missing pieces of the puzzle, and and it, it is just a lot more complex. Uh, and what I think uh, the defining thing in operations research is that we work with real systems um like either a supply chain or you can have a hospital with with queues or or whatever you want to imagine the idea is that there is a real physical system behind this um and and we always want to really understand how it works and do something that is implementable in that system um so with that in mind uh, all of the projects i've been involved in really start um with the problem definition uh and this is something that actually takes a long time uh, it's a lot of interviewing with people who who are parts of that system who work in that systems from managers to to just the people who who operate um, in in that system and I can talk about some other projects i I've, I've been involved in uh, but it's really trying to understand how their system works what the problem they're trying to solve is what the, their pain points are um, and and then and then understanding what data is available, what are the main constraints, operational or, or otherwise. Um, so, and, and then really formulating a, a very well-posed mathematical um, or, or just a, a very well-posed problem. Uh, and, and usually how we formulate these problems is um, in the framework of optimization. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that. So basically um, what you want to do is to uh, optimize An objective and you and you are uh, you have some levers that you can pull uh, and then you have some constraints that you need to meet so this is how we usually formulate um, the problems that we we attack Um, and then after that it's really um, there's a lot of time spent on on finding sourcing the data finding it cleaning it understanding it really and understanding how to model it this is sort of what I was saying before like how Uh, What do you assume about your demand, for example, and all the inputs in your model? Um, Then creating the models themselves, which are usually optimization problems, solving them. And then the more interesting part, I think, um, you know, a lot of these very mathematical models, they give you solutions that are often really not easy to implement. Uh, You can think, for example, if you ask me how many newspapers you want to order, I can tell you, oh, you need to order 3.75 to 6. (laughs) Uh, you know, that's that's obviously easy. You just round to four. Um, but actually finding heuristics that are very sim- simple to implement but are very close to the optimal solutions that we find is, is actually a, a big part of this project as well.
0: And I'm guessing that there are multiple roles involved in such a project, both business probably from the company's side and technical from the research side?
1: Yeah, so... Um, Actually, this is one of the great parts of a, about the program. I mean, uh, the, the PhD students, we, we kind of end up doing a bit of older roles and, and end up in, in this project where we have an industry partner. We really end up being the main liaison between uh, the, the partner and, and our team, which is usually either one or, or maybe a couple of, of PhD students and our advisors who are professors um, in, in Sloan, the MIT's business school. Uh, and we kind of end up knowing all of the all of the parts, <laughs> and and having to navigate through all of them, which is actually why I why I chose the the specific group I'm in. Um, I I think it's very exciting to do all of all of these things that that require very different kind of skills.
0: That's super interesting because one of the roles, nowadays especially when building, let's call it AI products or uh, machine learning driven products, is the PM. Uh, yeah. the product manager and mm-hmm. i imagine that uh, somebody in your team also has that role or mm-hmm. is that role is kind of like divided amongst yourselves
1: yeah so i actually think it's divided we don't have a specific person who is the product manager um it, it's usually it's usually the phd student but our advisors help us a lot uh, and and i think often they have a lot of a lot more experience and intuition of what will go and what will not just because they are experts in in this field and you know they've they've seen hundreds of supply chains and they, they kind of understand the dynamics mm-hmm. better than we do
0: this is very interesting because what you describe so far sounds a lot like a, the day in the life of a startup <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm very happy that you say that. I actually thought that myself when I chose this, uh, this field, it's, it's maybe a startup on training wheels just because we have all of the support <laughs> of, of really senior people working with us, uh, which is great.
0: Awesome. What are some of the other challenges? Of course, from a technical perspective, you have a lot of challenges, right? But what have you seen on the business side for companies that are, let's say, ordering this type of research?
1: To my mind there are a, a few challenges one is definitely the data availability and data quality uh, there are companies out there who have a lot of data and it's you know very clean very um, comprehensive um, but there are also smaller companies uh that do not uh and and i think really you know what you put in is is what you get out so if if there is no real data to drive insights then there's only so much you can do. I think a very big challenge is, is implementability. So, for example, um, I, I did a project. It, it was a shorter project. So it was only six months um, with, with a local hospital in, in Boston. So, so people would have appointments scheduled, but they would just not show up. So what happened is that, is that um, the providers actually had to schedule a lot more uh, appointments in a day, just sure so that they see how many patients they need. Um, but then, you know, they had some days when three out of the 12 patients scheduled would show up. Some days when all of the patients would show up. Uh, and then, you know, there would be three hours over time. Um, you can predict whether they will show up or not. So, you know, in a given day, you can schedule, let's say, eight people that you are sure will, will, uh, will show up. And, and four people that maybe won't show up and one of them will. So a very simple problem mathematically. Um, what it turns out, though, is that the hospital itself didn't have the ability to implement such a solution just because they couldn't really um, implement this kind of um, differential treatment to patients uh, just because, you know, they're made through a call center that's super busy and it, it just never worked. They, never, they could never include this step in the appointment system. Uh, to to check, you know, what kind of patient they're dealing with and all of that. Uh,
0: so this is really interesting because uh, while there is a technical solution to the problem, it was the solution was not feasible for their yeah. context.
1: Exactly, and and it's not feasible really because of the physical system that you're working with. Um, and and so what we did when when I was around with this project uh, the fourth or fifth time. We, we try to target the, the providers themselves and how they how they create the template of appointments in a day. They could put some features of the of the patients in there that would automatically sh- uh, show up in the interface that the schedulers were using. Uh, And in that way, there was no extra step for the schedulers who were overloaded and couldn't add an extra step. You would just make the providers when they set up their calendars, just think of a, you know, you basically say, in this slot, I accept only this kind of people. In this slot, I accept only this kind of people.
0: That's interesting. That's that's quite an elegant solution, actually. (laughs)
1: Yeah. It did take five months of understanding why stuff didn't work and and how you can go around it.
0: Um, So in your uh, line of work, you've seen companies, big companies that have the data and uh, which was clean, but you also work with companies probably smaller that were just beginning uh, the data collection process. What are the characteristics of companies that are best suited for this kind of work?
1: Um so I've actually only had two industry partners, the hospital i mentioned and and the u s retailer um but I don't know uh, from from a lot of my colleagues that they work with a lot of other companies honestly i'm not sure i think I think it really depends on the kind of problem you're trying to solve like for, for some problems you know just a, a little bit of data is is fine, and it's really about people's willingness and to experiment and to implement. Uh, ideas for other problems, you really do need a lot of data to to make an impact. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm not sure there's there's really a recipe. Uh, so for example, mm-hmm. one of the colleagues in in my group, um, he, his name is uh, Soumya Singhvi. Uh, he he did a project with um, uh, the grain markets uh, in in India, um, and and he, they, he helped them create an an auction a bidding system. Um, that would actually make sh- um, information about pricing more easily available to all the farmers so that the the prices uh, would actually increase and be more uniformly distributed across all farmers uh, and thus reducing the variability in, in the revenue farmers get for the same kind of grain. Uh, and in that, I think that the data he had was really uh, not that sophisticated uh, but they managed to, to have a lot of impact there. So um, yeah, I think I think it really depends.
0: And I think it's also a matter of, you know, going from a proof of concept or from research. Uh, there's also a matter of leadership to go <laughs> from that that point into a real product. Right? No,
1: I think I think that's definitely true. So um, you know, a lot of the work we do is theoretical, but a lot of the work we do is is very much applied and I think. Uh, with this um, I, I really think that our advisors play a huge role uh, because they are very senior professors at Sloan who are very well respected and and they manage to to drive these uh, changes and, and impact institutions.
0: and I out of curiosity, how does this work? Is it that an enterprise or a company comes with a uh, with a problem uh, to you guys, or is it the other way around, or is it both?
1: Um I, I think what happens sort of half half uh is that companies come to us um and then um they either have a very specific problem in mind or they have a specific area that they feel is not functioning as well as it could and they actually and in, in, in that case that problem scoping part of the project is is really a lot more involved on our part
0: And the reason I'm asking is for For a company, if this research is something that they can do in-house or externalize it to researchers such as yourself or other companies doing this this kind of work.
1: I think there are plenty of uh, consulting sort of data oriented companies. I, I know, for example, McKinsey has a uh, like a special group um, that is more data oriented. And, and I'm sure there is tons of others. And definitely companies also have a lot of in-house data science. I think, though, one of the benefits of, of working with us, you know, we're kind of a fresh perspective, uh, just because, which would be true with consultants as well, uh, just because we're not part of the company. Um, and and then, as, as I said, like you have these very senior professors working. Uh, you have students like myself who are pretty hungry and motivated.
0: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh... Now, you're no stranger to the startup world and I wanted to ask you, uh, what are some of the areas you're mostly interested in uh, or maybe you're following these
1: days? (laughs) One of the areas that I'm super passionate about, but um, I'm following really as a hobby because I haven't seen any progress done in in that direction, is is really... um, media and and news publications um you know i feel there is just too much information there uh for people to, to process uh and and i think that maybe the the mechanisms uh used um that make con some content available and bring some content in front to to viewers attention are maybe not necessarily in line with what i would want uh but i actually haven't seen much progress in that direction and and i can't say i'm working on it either Um, although I, I do know of a, of a friend at MIT who is starting to, to work in this direction, um, of how to basically change how, how platforms like Facebook or other social media platforms, uh, how they put content, uh, in, in front of viewers and, and sort of, um, think of more, uh, fairness or, or welfare measures, uh, that, that could sort of uh drive how we think about um all of this influence that these platforms have on on knowledge distribution uh but i think it's it's just starting to to ramp up as as um
0: yeah it's (laughs) early days yeah yeah
1: (laughs) it's early days yeah other than that i think any kind of um you know personalization and 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 predictive and optimization based on that uh predictiveness um it is something that interests me. I I don't I don't actually have a, a preferred industry. I I would say.
0: Okay, you and I talked a bit about your plans for the I believe the second half of this year, which I found very interesting. I don't know if you are in a position to share that publicly, but if you are, what can you share <laughs> about the next adventure? Let's say.
1: <laughs> so you know, given the current crisis. I don't think any of us know <laughs> uh, where we will be in uh, in half a year, but um, yeah, currently I'm I'm uh, I'm planning to to do an internship with with Airbnb uh, as as a data scientist for for the summer, which I'm super excited about um, and and hope it will still happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, Airbnb it's an awesome company, and I know they are doing a lot of stuff around data science and of course machine learning and stuff
1: yeah so that is something that uh, always interests me uh, it, it, so so uh, in in general to two-sided markets uh, and not not related to Airbnb but um, auctions in general and and you know how how this sort of um, complicated dynamics um, uh, play out is something that interests
0: me a lot. well <laughs> I honestly I learned so much from you. Um, thank you for taking the time to do this episode. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we started uh, a few weeks ago an open source initiative to, to help online retailers uh, to optimize their budget using AI NML during these strange times. And let it be known out there publicly <laughs> that I was inspired by our very first conversation almost, was it a month <laughs> ago? Uh, yeah, to kickstart um, this initiative locally but a small scale. So once again, I just wanted from to tell you from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing your wisdom with me and with us.
1: Thank you. It was, it was a pleasure and I, I can't wait to see what, what else you, you um, talk about.
0: All right. This was Get Your AI On podcast. Thank you all for listening and be sure to subscribe. We're going to post a new episode every other week. So stay tuned for the next conversation. See you next time.